What's up, everybody? How's everybody doing today? Guys, that was weak. We have a three-day weekend. Come on. What do we got? There we go. Okay, good. Good to see you guys. It's okay to be excited in church. That's a good thing. All right. Well, super excited for you guys to be here today. Uh, if you're new, maybe you're visiting for the first time, I just want to tell you welcome. Uh, we know you're taking a chance coming here to be with us today and risking it, so we're glad you decided to risk it to be here today and join us. Uh, for the rest of you, though, I don't know if you know this, uh, but we've had a lot of visitors over the past couple weeks. So first, I just want to say thank you uh, to those of you who have leveraged the influence that you have to help people uh, come here to be a part of what God is doing here at Trace. So thanks for that. But I also just want to take a moment and recognize a team here that is working, has been working a lot behind the scenes these past couple weeks, whether it's getting people into groups or getting people on a team, they have done a great job of connecting the people that you've invited and taking care of your friends uh, that have attended here. And so can we just take a second and give it up for uh, the Connections team uh, here at Trace? Yeah, they're awesome. Uh, they've done an awesome job. And we've been in this series right here called Deep and Wide. And as a church, we've just said we want to help you all develop deep relationships with Jesus. But at the same time, we want a reach that goes wide across uh, the greater area of Colorado Springs. And we've talked about a lot of different things, but one of the things we've said is we don't want anything from you, uh, but there's quite a few things we want for you. And those things are all included in what we call our three asks, that if you want to experience what Trace is all about, if you want to experience a deep relationship with Jesus, if you want to experience a wide reach over the area of Colorado Springs, then we have these three asks. And we're going to be a little selfish with these. Uh, we don't just want somebody doing these things. We don't just want a couple buddies doing these things. We want everybody doing these things. And so the first one is this right here. We want everyone in a group. We want everyone in a group. Because here at Trace, we don't want to be a church that does small groups. We want to be a church that's made up of small groups. And we want you to experience that community here. And the second one is this. We want everybody on a team. Everybody on a team. And we say it like this here at Trace, but your commitment is our capacity. That our capacity to help reach people who are far from God, our capacity to help people break long-standing addictions, our capacity to help people find hope and help people find purpose, our capacity to take care of your friends and help you leverage the influence that you all have, our capacity to do those things is completely dependent on your guys' commitment to helping us carry those out. And so we ask for everybody on a team. And then the third thing is this, we want everyone investing in the next generation. Uh, not just parents, not just adults with nieces and nephews. We want everyone investing in the next generation. And that's what we're going to talk about here today is this third one of everyone investing in the next generation. And very simply, all I want to do today, this is really, really simple. I just want to look at three questions when it comes to the next generation. Those questions are why? Why should we invest in the next generation? Uh, who is the next generation? Because there's a new generation uh, coming. And then how can we invest in the next generation. So let's just start with that first one, have a little bit of fun. Why should we invest in the next generation? Uh, seriously though, like why would you guys want to invest in the next generation? Why would you want to invest in the generation that took Legos and threw them up on a screen and called it Minecraft, right? Or why would you want to invest in the next generation 
um, uh, that named a dance move after like a dental hygiene procedure called flossing. That's not the best name. Or why would you want to invest in a generation that has no idea about the anxiety and the emotional ties that you hear or have when you hear this noise right here? That's terrible. That's dial-up, okay, for all you young people. That's dial-up. It's the worst, okay? Why would you want to invest in that generation? And I would sum it up with this one statement right here, and it's a big statement, but I think it's true. The gospel depends on it. The gospel depends that you invest in the next generation. And, like, think about this. At any point in history, after Jesus has died, resurrected, came back from the dead, started a church, at any point in history after that, the church, Christianity, the gospel... It's always been one generation away from failing. That's it. One generation. All it would take is one generation to refuse to pass the gospel on to the next, or one generation to be too stubborn to accept it from the previous. That's all it would take for the gospel to die. That's it. Just one generation. In Mark 16, Jesus, he, he looks to the next generation of disciples, the next generation of church leaders, and he says this, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone, to everyone. Guys, that includes the next generation. And we see this modeled all throughout the Bible. We see Moses who takes Joshua, and Joshua who ends up taking uh, Caleb, and Elijah takes on Elisha, and then Jesus, he takes on the disciples, and he even has an inner three of those groups that he's investing in. And then Paul, he takes on Timothy and Titus. But what I love about Paul's relationship with Timothy is he looks at Timothy in the Bible, you can find this, in, and he says, don't mess it up. Don't let it start, stop with you. And in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, he, he says this, you've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. And then he says, now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. It's a cycle. We have to continue to invest in the next generation. We have to continue to pass it on because the gospel, it, it demands it. But the other reason is this. It's like the next generation is here, guys. Like, I'm sorry, millennials, but like your reign is over. Okay, it's done. I, I'm exiting it today. The next generation's here, and it's my generation. It's generation, what we're calling Generation Z. And, you know, they're a lot different. There's a new generation entering the workforce, becoming adults, growing older, as we speak, there's just under 70 million of this generation in America today, making it the largest generation of all time. And if there's such a large population of them, and they're growing up so quickly, and we're trying to invest in them, it might be a good idea to know a little bit about them, right? And so let's look at that second question of this. Who is the next generation? As I said, it's, it's called Generation Z. And they're made up of people born from 1996 to 2015. So I was born in February of 96, making me literally one of the very first Generation Z people. And we are optimistic. We're idealistic. We, we think we can change the world. One day we might. I don't know. We've watched technology advance at such a rapid pace that everything else just seems a little slow and <laughs> a little normal to us. We're like I said, entrepreneurial, but we're also minimalists. We like things uh, small and not as much low quantities, but we're actually good, pretty good with money, which I find interesting. 
We're highly adaptive, and for what it's worth, I think we have a lot of potential, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a part of it. Like, I get to work with Generation Z a lot, and I've seen uh, the hearts that they have to serve and make a difference. And so we have a new generation, and there's a lot that defines a generation, right? But most, and I could stand up here all day and talk about all sorts of things about Gen Z, but most of the time, people look to the words that they use or the things that they say to define a generation. And so you look at like Gen X, okay? You guys created some great words like cool and legit. And one of my personal favorites that I get made fun of all the time for using, and I've even called my wife this and gotten in trouble for it, uh, but it's the word dude, okay? I use that word all the time. So thank you for that word, uh, Gen X. But millennials, you guys created things like jeggings. You created the word lit, uh, you guys shortened, I love this, this, you shortened the name of our great country simply down to America, right? Like, no United States, no A, just simply America, and I love that. But when it comes to Gen Z, there's not just a couple words. Like, parents, you know this. Like, there's a whole new language. <laughs> and as your friendly neighborhood youth pastor, uh, one of the questions I get often from parents or from adults is they come to me and they're like, hey... I think my kid's been cussing, but I don't, you know, I don't really know. So what does this word mean? And I'm like, I promise that's not a cuss word. It's just a new word. And so we're all about helping families win. And so I found this great video to help translate the Generation Z language. And so I want you guys to go ahead and take a look at this. All right, Brock, we're gonna start with some simple ones. Yeah, okay. Hello, how are you? Saw, friends, fam, family, fam jam. It was a fun event, the fest was lit. Okay. okay. I'm about to leave. I'm finna dip set. Those are some neat shoes. Them kicks are dripping. I would be glad to help, but my favorite team lost. Dudes took an L. My favorite team lost very bad. Dude's got clapped. He seems upset. He little mad. He seems very upset. He big mad. I like this music. That's a bop. I'm not lying. No cap. I'm sorry that happened to you. Oof. That's an interesting statement. Weird flex, but okay. I'm not a fan of these appetizers. These apps are booty. <laughs> I completely agree with that statement. Facts. I agree. Yeet yeet. Excuse me. Yeet. Wow, that's exciting news. Yeet. Congratulations on your baby boy. Yeet. What does yeet even mean? Yeet is yeet. That doesn't help. It's like when fam comes slipping in with their dripping swag, jamming to some sick bop. And no cap, you know these facts are about to be a litty fresh to death. You're like, oh, I'm not big mad at that bitty response. Yeet. I don't get it. Weird flex, but okay. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know either, okay? Um, I am a Gen Z, but at the same time, I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, but while the words we use certainly do define different generations, I could, like I said, I could stand up here and talk about a lot of different things about Gen Z. But I, I really think there's two defining characteristics of Gen Z. And the first one is this right here, technology. Like, you can't talk about the next generation without talking about technology, specifically the influence they have on technology, but also the influence that technology has 
on them. Like, think about it. We've never known life without the internet. Uh, we've been connected since birth. And it ranges from things like entertainment with streaming services and movies uh, and video games onto like our unlimited ability to ask questions to Google and Siri at our fingertips. And then we also have social media platforms like Instagram and Snapchat. Gen Z lifestyle is deeply rooted in technology. It's said actually that 94% of Gen Z, 94% is on a screen for two hours or more a day. And I would actually say that's a little low. Uh, I think it's 56% are on a screen for four hours or more a day, and that's where I'm at, I would say. And so you add that time up over the course of a year, and you have a month's worth of time, a month's worth of time to two months' worth of time on a screen uh, over the course of a year. That's a lot of time on a screen. But never before has a generation seen so many advances in technology. However, even with that, it's not without consequence. Because as technology has advanced rapidly, so has the increase in mental health statistics, including anxiety and depression. Uh, most of this can be traced back not to social media, but to the use, I would say the incorrect use of social media for this next generation. And so if I can describe it like this, I, I, would, I, would, yeah, I would describe it like this. Um, imagine going back to high school. Some of you are like, I was at my peak. Some of you are like, I never want to go back, okay? Uh, but imagine you're back in high school, and there's all sorts of social pressure on your life. You know, you have to dress the right way. You have to say the right things. You have to be a part of the right crowd. You have to be on the right sports team. You have to make the right grades in order to get to college. All sorts of pressure. But at the end of the day, the bell rings, and you get to go home, and most of that pressure is alleviated. You get to rest from that. Okay? Now imagine a circumstance where that's not the case, where the bell doesn't ring, and you continue to live your life with all sorts of social pressures on it. And that's what it's like for Gen Z. Social media has created like a virtual high school experience for the next generation, uh, where they're constantly in this comparison trap, comparing the worst parts of their life to the best parts of other people's lives. And in this highlight reel called social media, we see teens increasing and anxiety, and depression, and mental health issues. And hear me very clearly. Social media is not bad, okay? We use it as a church all the time. It's not good. It's not bad. It's neutral. It's a tool. But just like any other tool, there's a right way to use it, and there's a wrong way to use it. It's like giving a, a little child a hammer and not teaching them what it's used for. What are they going to do? They're going to run around and break stuff because that's what they think it's used for when really hammers are used to fix things. Or it's like cutting grass with a chainsaw. Like that's not what it was made for at all. That wasn't its intended use. And in the same way, we have an entire generation that's growing up with technology and with these tools called social media, yet we don't know how to use them. And what I'm saying here is we need adults in our lives. We need you all to continue to invest in us and show us the right way to use these things and the right way to apply these truths. Because technology is a key part of Generation Z's lifestyle. But that's not the only defining characteristic. I said there were two. And the second one, I would say, is this right here, truth. Specifically, Generation Z's view of truth. If you were to read the Bible or look at the life of Jesus, one of the things that you're going to find is that Jesus, he actually has a lot of conversations about truth. 
Uh, he has a ton of them, but one of my favorite ones is Jesus' conversation with Pilate. And Pilate is the Roman governor of Jerusalem at the time, and Jesus is entering the end of his life, and so he's been brought to this guy named Pilate to stand on trial. And Pilate is frustrated because he wants to find the truth, because he has angry mobs of Jews outside of his house screaming, crucify him, crucify him, and he can't figure out what it is that Jesus has done wrong. And so this is the conversation he has right here. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews, he asked him. Jesus replied, is this your own question, or did others tell you about me? And Pilate said, am I a Jew? Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you are a king. Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into this world. This is really important. We're going we're gonna to come back to this later. I was born and came into this world to testify to, this is the truth, to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. And Pilate asked this question. I love this question. What is truth? What is truth? You see, I believe this question right here basically sums up the next generation's view of truth. It's no longer a statement of fact. It's a question. It's something that's optional now. Because it used to be that you had truth over here and you had opinion over here. And they stood separate for a while. Then eventually we started to support um, our opinions based on our truth. And so opinions rested on truth. It relied on truth. But nowadays that's flipped. And nowadays truth is supported by our opinions. So that if we take our opinions out, something that used to be true, and we say it's no longer true, it falls flat. And that thing is no longer true because we've removed our opinions from that. And now we have a useless piece of truth that just sits there. And that's what the next generation views as truth. Because in this world, we have two kinds of truth. We have what's called subjective truth. And so that's only true if the subject deems it to be true. So I would say a statement like, uh, the Dallas Cowboys are better than the Denver Broncos. And I would be right in saying that. But that is a subjective truth. That is my opinion, okay? But I'm still right. Um, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But then you have what's called absolute truth. And absolute truth is true regardless of what the subject thinks or feels or, or has expectations on that truth. Which means, you know, uh, that a statement is true regardless of, you know, if it's subjective or not. But the next generation would say, actually, absolute truth does not exist at all. That's not a thing. Because what's true for you may not be true for me. Or what was once true for you is no longer true for you, and therefore truth changes. And so there's no such thing as absolute, solid truth. All we have is subjective truth. And some of you may be sitting there wondering, Josiah, who cares? Uh, why does that matter? And for things like your favorite sports team, or like um, your favorite ice cream, or your favorite restaurant, it doesn't matter, okay? Uh, subjective truth is just fine there. However, when you have an entire generation growing up with no absolute truth in areas like morality or religion or identity, what you have is an entire generation growing up without a foundation that's solid enough to build their life upon. And therefore, it'll continue to be flimsy and, and they'll struggle with anxiety, depression, and mental health issues because of that. And recently, a group called Barna 
uh, they ran a study on Gen Z. They, they put out a survey, and they asked them tons of questions, ranging from things like morality, is this right or wrong, all the way to like, what do Gen Z do for fun? And one of the saddest statistics that they found is this one right here. Only 34% of Gen Z say lying is morally wrong. 34%. Like, that's it. That's terrible. That's a tiny percentage. But it doesn't surprise me. Because when you have a culture where they say there is no such thing as absolute truth, or there is no such thing as right and wrong, if lying can help you out, then nobody can tell you that's right or wrong, right? Because sometimes lying will get you further a little faster. Or sometimes uh, lying can save you and a friend from a little bit of shame and guilt that is projected on you by others, right? So why wouldn't you lie? And if I can be transparent with you for a second, like that was my justification a lot when I was growing up. I struggled with lying quite a bit. And the reason, you know, eventually I made my stories become grander. And I propped myself up on the lies that I told and lying became easier. Uh, but this is something I learned. No matter how hard it is to tell the truth, or no matter how hard it is to find the truth, the truth will always find you, every time. And sometimes it would come from a mistake in the stories that I was telling. Sometimes it would come from a friend being like, I was there, Josiah, that's not really how, how it happened, and I'd have to like backtrack real quick. But a majority of the time in my life, it came uh, from adults who decided to be intentional in my life, to sit me down and said, what you're doing is wrong. What you're saying is not true, and lying, guys, is wrong. And now, more than ever, in a time where opinions reign and subjective truth is all we have, we need adults in our lives to point us towards the truth. We need adults to point us towards that truth, because here's something I know about Gen Z. Gen Z excels at seeking the truth. We may not always be good at finding it, but we excel at seeking it. I would say every week, if not every other week, I have a conversation with a student or an adult uh, that is a part of my generation that is desperately looking for something to be true. Regardless of how they feel, regardless of the social pressures that are on them, they're looking for a truth that they can build their life upon. They excel at seeking it. But we lack the resources to find the right answers. And so now more than ever, we need people in our lives to point us towards the truth specifically the truth that is found in Jesus Christ. In that conversation with Pilate, Jesus said, I've come to testify to what? Do you guys remember? To the truth. He didn't say to my opinions. He didn't say to culture. He didn't say to everybody else's feelings. He said, I have come to testify to the truth. And what is that truth? I believe that truth is this. We are hopeless, absolutely hopeless without God. That because we have sinned, because we have distanced ourselves from God, we deserve death. We deserve to go to hell. Guys, that's the truth. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of what everybody else thinks, that's the truth. But what I love about God is he didn't leave us there. That's not the only truth that he provided. No, he sent his son Jesus to live a life of perfection, to live a life where he didn't deserve to die. But because he loves you so much, because he loves me so much, he climbed up on a cross and he died. And he took your place and he took my place so that someday I wouldn't have to. And then he resurrected three days later so that we could believe this truth right here. Hear me very clearly. 
God loves you. And God is for you. And he died for you in order that he could give grace to you. What is truth, Pilate asked? I wish Jesus would have answered him. Because the truth is, is what is truth? The answer to that question is Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected in order to offer everybody else a second chance. And that's true for you regardless of what you've done, regardless of how you feel, regardless of the story that you now carry. There is a God out there who loves you and wants to spend eternity with you. And there's a whole generation out there, my generation, that's growing up without that truth. Actually, sorry, that's grown up now without that truth. And all I'm asking you to do is give it to them. Provide them with that truth because we need it. We need a solid foundation like that to build our lives upon. But how do we do that? Like, how do we invest in a generation that's absorbed and consumed in technology, yet at the same time has an incredibly flimsy view of the world? How do we invest in that kind of generation? Actually, earlier this week, uh, or a couple weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast that asked that very same question. How do we invest in the next generation? How do you get uh, a generation with an attention span? Our attention span right now is eight seconds. Eight seconds, that's terrible. Uh, but eight seconds. How do you get a generation like that to pay attention long enough in order to change their lives? And the conclusion they came to is it takes three things. And guys, this is free, and it's really practical. Three things, and I agree with this. And those three things are this. Reason, relationship, and rhythms. Reason, relationship, and rhythms. You see, reason, it involves two different things. It involves answering the questions, why is something true? And then why does it matter? Uh, why does it matter? Why is something true? You know, right now for Gen Z, there are three, uh, the three biggest barriers right now are all questions. They're all questions. Uh, the top three are, how does God exist with suffering? So how can there be a good God, yet bad things happen? The second is hypocrites in the church. Why do Christians say one thing and then do another? And then the third is how does God interact with science? So how do, how do we process you know, the Bible that we believe with what we're being taught in school? Guys, look at those three questions. Those are all questions that can be easily answered if we provide enough reason. And right now, I would say that those are the three biggest barriers because we haven't answered these questions for students and kids. Because we've used answers like, because the Bible says so, or because it's the right thing to do, even though we just saw, like, students don't believe in the right thing to do. And we use questions and answers like that, but ultimately we don't answer or provide enough reason. And so we have to provide students with a reason why they, they should follow a guy named Jesus. Um, but if you can, you can have all the reason in the world, but if you don't have relationships, it, it's still going to fall flat. And relationship is a key part of this. And many of you, maybe you're like me, when I think of relationships and investing in other people, I think of like a mentor, right? And so I want to do this little exercise, but think of the first mentor that you ever had, or just a mentor that you had, or a role model maybe for you, or somebody that you wanted to be like. Maybe as a teacher, maybe as a friend, maybe as a coworker, maybe it was a coach. I don't know what it looks like for you, but think about that person. Now, I want you to answer the question, why did you pick that person as someone you wanted to be like? Why did you pick that person as your mentor? My guess is that they probably had some characteristics that you thought would be good in your own life. 
You know, that there were things about them that you admired and wanted for yourself. And statistically speaking, that's true. Gen X and millennials choose their mentors, choose the people that they're going to model their lives after, uh, statistically speaking, based on characteristics that they admire. Things that can get them a little further, a little faster. But with this next generation, that's just not true. They're not choosing their role models based on who they admire. They're choosing their role models based on who they know the best. So think about that. Are you the person that they know the best? And if we want to stand a chance against culture and helping parents and invest in our kids, we have to take the time to intentionally invest in the next generation. We have to take the time to build relationships with them, but at the same time, let them build relationships with us. Uh, this past week, I was talking with a bunch of youth pastors here in the city, and we were talking about things like this, and one of them began to tell a story about a father uh, who came to this youth pastor and was really frustrated because their kid was not making good choices. They weren't choosing to adopt the faith uh, that they had so long tried to bring them up in. And so the youth pastor asked the dad, hey, are you intentionally investing in your kid? Are you, you setting aside time to do that? And the dad got kind of proud and was like, yeah, I am. Actually, uh, every time I pick my kid up to go to school, and then every time I, I pick them up and bring them home, like I'm incredibly intentional about asking them how their day went and uh, what they're feeling, and then also talking about things about faith. He goes, I'm incredibly intentional about this. And the youth pastor asked a very wise question, and I really do think this is really really wise. He said, if I were to ask your kid, if they really thought like you were setting aside time to be intentional with them, or if they simply just felt trapped in the car, what would they say? And the dad was wrecked because he realized he wasn't setting aside time to invest in his kids. Rather, he was taking the leftover time of his day and inserting his kid into that. Guys, we have to be intentional whether you're a parent with kids, whether you're an adult investing in the next generation here at Trace, we have to be intentional about setting aside time, holding space to invest in the next generation. But you can have all the reason in the world, you can build the best relationships, but if you do not provide the next generation with rhythms, places in their life where they can practice what you're asking them to do to live out their faith, their relationship with Jesus, it's going to fail. And as a church, we want to help provide those rhythms for your kids, for your students, for the next generation, and give uh, you parents as well opportunities to help make those rhythms in your families. And that's why we do things like the Dollar Club, where we ask everybody to bring a dollar on top of what they're already giving. This isn't just because we want more money. This is an awesome opportunity for you as a parent, you as an adult in this church, that everybody else in the next generation is looking to. This is an awesome opportunity for you to develop a rhythm of generosity in your life and in your kids' lives. And that's why next week, whenever we get to celebrate Trace being alive in existence for three years, which is something to celebrate, we're so excited about that. But that's why we celebrate, not just because we want to get a big cake and like have fun. No, we do it because we want to help you all create rhythms of celebration in your life where you're celebrating things that matter. And that's why we're asking everybody to bring not just $1, but $3 to celebrate Trace's three-year anniversary so that we can provide a school in the city with a new teacher's lounge because they need it. And we're creating uh, rhythms of service in your family's lives. And you have that opportunity.
to partner with us and do that. But don't just let it stop with generosity. Don't just let it stop uh, with service or, or celebration. Guys, if your kid has never seen you worship, do you honestly think that they're going to want to do that? And I don't say that to shame anybody. I say that to say you have way more influence than you know over your children. And adults that don't have children, you have way more influence than you know over the students and the kids that go to this church. We have to create rhythms of prayer and reading our Bibles and worship and all of those things and give space in order that the next generation can practice what we're asking of them and they can practice and live out the truth of the gospel. And Trace, right now, we're asking to partner with you. Because like we've said before, your commitment is our capacity. We can't do this by ourselves, and we don't want to. But we want to partner with you to invest in the next generation. Because the gospel, it demands it. And the next generation is not years away. It's here today. And this generation is defined by technology and their view of truth. And they need to hear the truth and to build a foundation for their lives. There's a God out there that loves them, that cares about them, that died for them and wants to offer grace to them, regardless of how they feel, regardless of what culture says. They need to know that truth. And so very simply, I just want to leave you with this question today. What wouldn't you do to invest in the next generation? What wouldn't you do to invest in the next generation? Because we need your help, and we need you all to partner with us and so that we can partner with you to invest in the next generation. And so very simply, we just want everyone, we just want everyone to invest in the next generation. Let's pray. Uh, dear God, thank you for today. God, I know there's dozens of stories in this room right now uh, of people who invested in these people, uh, who, who gave them the truth of your word and gave them the truth of your son. And God, I know that many people in this room would not be here without uh, other people investing in them. God, I just ask that we would be the kind of church that is constantly thinking about the next generation, that is constantly trying to find new ways to invest in them. God, let us be a, a place that uh, is safe for the next generation, uh, that we can continue to be good examples for them. God, we love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to go ahead and transition uh, into a time of response. And very simply what this is, is we just want this to be a thin space between you and God, where you can have real authentic conversations with God. And for many of you, this is going to look different. For a lot of you, somebody did invest in you when you were younger. And you do know the truth about Jesus, that there's God who loves you, that sent his son to die for you, and now wants to give grace to you. And you've believed that. And you've made that decision in your life. And for those of you that that's the case, we have these tables all around the room uh, with a uh, cracker and some juice. And you can dip the cracker in the juice and you can remember what it is that Jesus has done for you. And so many of you can respond in that way. For others of you, maybe that was the first time you've ever heard that truth before. That regardless of how you feel, regardless of what you think or what other people tell you, there is a God that loves you. Regardless of the things that you've done in your life. And maybe you just need to sit in your chair and have a conversation with God about what a relationship with Jesus could look like. For others of you, you're looking for somebody to invest in you right now, specifically through prayer. And so in the back, we have some tables. 
And you can go back there and you can write uh, some of the things that you're struggling with. And you can put them in the bucket. And we have a team here at Trace that prays over those every week. And maybe that's how you need to respond. I don't know how you need to respond. That's between you and God. But we're just asking that uh, you help create a thin space in this moment. Have a conversation with God. Uh, Let's pray and then you can go ahead and respond. Dear God, thank you for this day. God, thank you for not just being a God uh, that looks at the problems that we have and does nothing about it. But God, thank you for being a God who sent your son uh, to die for us, to show us that you love us, regardless of what we think and how we feel. God, I pray that this would be a thin space. I pray that this would be a space where people can be real with you and continue to work on a deep relationship with you. But also, God, um, I pray that you would just continue to stir in their hearts uh, the things that you're calling them to do, the ways that you want them to respond. God, we love you. We're so grateful for your son. It's in your name we pray. Amen.